Psalm 133, verse 1, declares, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Let me repeat that. Psalm 133, verse 1, declares, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That is a wonderful truth. It is good and pleasant when God's people are united. The writer of this particular psalm was David, who knew this well. Of all people, he experienced the joys of unity and the devastation of disunity. Let me explain a little bit about what I mean by that. David lived during a time when the twelve tribes of Israel were not united as a whole, and the spiritual condition of the nation was pretty weak. So he experienced this growing up, the nation being divided. Personally, as a young man, before he killed Goliath, it appears that he was mistreated by his older brothers. There was not unity in his home. When he defeated Goliath, it caused a great victory and the army was united as they defeated their archenemies, the Philistines. So he experienced this joy of unity. After that great moment, King Saul turned on David, even though he was loyal to Saul. Saul even tried to kill him for years. However, God raised up David to be the king of Judah, the tribe of Judah, even though Saul's son still reigned over the other tribes. But eventually, David united all 12 tribes, which had never happened before. That must have been an incredible season of their life and for David's life to have that kind of unity. Perhaps this is when he wrote the psalm, when the nation was just so united and he experienced the great joys of that. But we know that that unity didn't last very long because of things that happened even within David's own household and his own son Absalom led a failed rebellion to take away David's throne. David knew the elusiveness of unity and how precious it is when you actually have it. It is good and pleasant to dwell in unity. Amen? In my life, when I was thinking of the message this week and just reflecting about various occasions when I have experienced strong unity with other Christians, and I look back and it really... It's a highlight of my Christian life. I was thinking of when I was at seminary and we would attend chapel three times a week. And it was such a blessing to worship God with hundreds of other students and faculty from all walks of life. We would debate, of course, doctrine when we would sit in the classrooms and maybe have a cup of coffee but when we were in the chapel, we got swept up into praising the Lord. There was unity and it was such a blessing. Or we were unified as we would go out into the communities and spread the gospel to those who needed to hear. And I was thinking about a little bit closer to the present, how our church and two other Southbury churches, Calvary Chapel and Community Chapel, um, gathered for a joint service, a worship service, two years ago. Do you guys remember that? 
It was the first time that that had ever happened with our churches. And it was such a blessing to come together, not as three churches that night, but as one church. By the way, we're going to have that again on October 7th. Love to have everyone participate in that again. It's good and pleasant to dwell in unity. So I want to take two weeks here as a church and to discuss true unity. I don't bring up this topic because I feel like our church is divided. Pleased with our unity as a church, but you know what? That makes it a prime opportunity to actually talk about unity since we, we can think clearly and prepare ourselves for when the time will come when that unity will be tested. And you can bank on that fact that unity will be tested. And you don't really know how unified you are until you experience testing, do you? So it's good to sort of dig deeper now when there's a season of calm because who knows what tomorrow brings, amen? So this morning, what I want to do is to discuss the reasons for unity. In other words, why is it so valuable that we seek unity? We know just sort of common sense that most people enjoy uh, getting along rather than fighting one another. But is there more to it from a Christian perspective than just that? There is. And I want us to look at that. And I want us to be motivated to pursue unity within this church. Because unity is hard work. There must be motivation, in other words, to keep it. So hopefully today will help us in that regard. Next week we'll discuss the barriers to unity and work through those specific challenges that inevitably come up and test a church. So, the first reason that we're going to talk about here this morning is that unity pleases God. Unity pleases God. The heart of God is that Christians would be united. United Unity is the will of God. And I think this is perhaps no more on display than when we see Jesus in John chapter 17. I want to invite you to turn there now to John chapter 17. Using one of the Bibles there, page 903. While you're turning there, of course, John 17 occurs the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He gave final words of instruction to the twelve disciples, and then he prayed for them and for the rest of his followers throughout the ages. And in his prayer, four times, Jesus asked that we would be united. So pick it with me, if you will. We'll just get to the very end of it, in verses 20 to 23. These are the words of Jesus as he prays to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus desires that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Isn't that pretty powerful? The persons of the Trinity share that 
perfect unity, and their unity serves, the, serves as the standard by which we should try to emulate. So I don't think we should ever sit back in our chairs and think, we've arrived. Not even close. There is always room for growth. Jesus' prayer, his prayer, is that we would be united. Paul makes a similar point in Ephesians chapter 4. I invite you to, you might want to keep your finger there in, in John chapter 17, but flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, page 977 if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, just some context here. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, first three chapters, he unloads this incredible theology of our great salvation that we have in Christ and who we are, our identity in Christ. And then when he crosses over to chapter 4, now he talks about how do we live this out. Okay, The first thing he drives home is unity. He writes, verse 1 and following, I therefore, prisoner to the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another together in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, just to clarify, Paul, when he's writing these words, he's not trying to get rid of all kinds of diversity, right? He's not trying to get rid of any kind of uniqueness. In the following verses, Paul talks about how there's a variety of spiritual gifts, how there's a variety of church offices and roles, and how each person plays a part in the body of Christ. So God doesn't seek uniformity, He seeks unity. God delights in diversity too, but underlying that diversity, He seeks spiritual unity. And friends, we need to really etch this in our minds. As we're sitting here today, we need to realize and think things the way God thinks about things and the way God sees our church and the church as a whole is that we are unified. Seven times did you get that? Paul mentions the word one to stress that we are united. In the eyes of God, we are truly one. whether we realize it or not. If you're in Christ, you are unified. So therefore, to tear at one another is really to tear at yourself. It's like a marriage where the Bible says that we are one flesh. If you harm your spouse, who are you ultimately also harming? Yourself. We share this spiritual reality Unity, friends, pleases God. He has made us that way. And He wants us not only to have this invisible spiritual bond that we share, but to live it out visibly. That's what He wants from us. And let me just add, going a step further, that He doesn't make this just a choice for us to make. 
In other words, it's not just optional. If you want to be unified or you don't want to be unified. God commands it. As the apostles wrote their churches, you see again and again they spoke about the need for unity. See this here in Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 3, 8. Apostle Peter says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Paul says, we just saw in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And I think that's interesting because Paul not only writes that to the Corinthian church, and we know the Corinthian church, they were having some troubles and everything. So, okay, well, yeah, he had to write it to them. But you know what? He says the same thing to the Philippians, and the Philippians were a pretty strong church. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Friends, unity pleases God. Is everybody with me on that one? There's a Godward focus when we think about unity. It's not just so I can get along to the person sitting next to me. It's just that we please God because we know that this matters immensely to God. But here's the second reason. Unity stirs belief in God. Unity stirs belief in God. Flip back over to John chapter 17. Twice in this passage, Jesus points to that reality. Did you, did you catch that when we were reading? Back up in verse 21, Jesus prays for our unity, quote, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, he prays for our unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You say, well, why will the world believe when they see that you and I are united? Right? Isn't that a good question? Why will the world believe when they see a unified church? Well, human pride takes natural human distinctions and makes them badges of honor rather than um, appreciating the diversity that God has made. In other words, human pride will take, say for example, racial distinctions or gender distinctions and say, I'm better than you because of my race. Or I'm better than you because of my gender. Right? That's our pride, isn't it? Human pride. Or human pride takes things that we create and magnifies them, like social classes. Right? You're on the outside because you're not cool, or you're not this, or you're not that. We make up these things because of our pride, and we alienate people. Or the economic disparity which, of course, there might be economic disparity not have necessarily sin there, but we know that it is fueled by greed very often, isn't it? So, in my view, I don't think there's anything natural that's going to unify human beings. It takes something supernatural. It takes Christ superseding human barriers like race and age and gender and social status. Galatians 3.28 says... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, not, there, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, Christianity exploded in the first century like a rocket and broke down so many of these deep barriers that existed there. 
Slaves and masters were equal before the Lord, as were males and females. The long-standing divide between the Jews and the Gentiles was obliterated. Do you know how incredible that was? They had no dealings with each other. They hated each other. But in Christ, they're one. It was revolutionary. And down through the ages, nothing has been like Christianity in breaking down the social barriers. I mean, what else compares? 9-11, we just, you know, national tragedy. And a national tragedy like 9-11, it drove us together for a while, didn't it? How long did that last? Six months? Not very long. It's hard to even think back to the unity we had 15 years ago. We're so divided now. Say, so, well, government kind of unites us. And it does to some degree. But I think there's kind of an important difference is that you don't have a whole lot of choice with government, do you? You kind of have to live where you are. You can't just pick up and move. But with a church... You can always leave, and that's what's so powerful. People willingly choose to follow Christ, and they unite with people that sometimes they might be at great odds with, but they come together in Christ. And when people see it, it points to God, doesn't it? So friends, what a testimony it is when men and women are united in Christ. What a testimony when different races, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, are united in Christ. What a testimony when different languages are united in Christ. What a testimony when different ages, children and teenagers and young adults and middle-aged and senior citizens, when they're all united in Christ. What a testimony when different education and income levels are united in Christ. What a testimony when different personality types, polar opposites, are united in Christ. And friends, our unity can shine even brighter in our present environment, in a nation that is increasingly divided since, say, even 9-11. Racially, tensions run deeper than they have in decades, right? Economically, there's a widening gap between the haves and have-nots as the middle class is dwindling. Politically, the divide between the Republicans and the Democrats has reached epic levels. And I know as a citizen, it can be pretty discouraging sometimes to see the disunity in our nation. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And we need to be praying about that. However, let us focus as citizens of Christ that this is an opportunity for the church. Do you see that? It's an opportunity for the church to show true unity and to stir belief in God. And one other thing, our unity gives even more glory to God. Just thinking about even going beyond our nation, God is glorified when a wide variety of people give him the praise and the honor. Amen? In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper points out that, say if you have a piece of art and it's appreciated by a small number of people for a short period of time, it shows that that piece of art probably wasn't a great masterpiece, right? But if, that, if another piece of art is appreciated by countless numbers of people across centuries and centuries, it shows that that really was a masterpiece, wasn't it? Same with God. In the sense of, as 
people, countless people around the world through many centuries are regarding Him as supremely valuable and supremely worthy. All of that unity, focusing on Christ, gives Him the glory and the honor. Amen? So unity. Unity stirs belief in God. These are pretty important reasons so far, aren't they? This is more than just, you know, we get along. This is real important stuff. One more thing here. Third reason. Unity increases the church's impact. Unity increases the church's impact. You know, Scripture compares the church to a human body, right? And that we're one, but yet we're composed of many parts. So think about this analogy for a little bit with me. So let's think about the human body. Each part of a body has an important role, and it's vital that all of the parts of your body work together. They're not just freestanding. Think about your hand for a second here. Think about your hand. If the hand is by itself, if somehow you could just detach it and put it on the table, wouldn't be of a whole lot of value, would it? It desperately needs the rest of the body, doesn't it? And not just the rest of the body as a whole, but think about all of the other parts. I was kind of trying to scratch my brain doing like a, you know, anatomy 101 mini lesson in my head this week. Thinking about all the things that need to work to make the hand work. The lungs take in oxygen, right? Which all of the body parts need. If your lungs don't work, your hand's not going to work. The heart pumps blood to the hand so that its tissues receive nourishment. The veins and the arteries are transporting the blood. The brain sends signals to guide and direct the hand's movement. The eyes are seeing the hand and seeing the environment so that the hand knows what it's supposed to be doing, right? I'm sure you're probably thinking of other things that need to be functional so that your hand can be functional. You get the point, though, don't you? The hand is vitally connected to the rest of the body. And likewise, it is the same with the church. It is composed of different parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And each person has a vital role to play in the overall health, not only of yourself, but of the entire church. The church is more effective if the parts are unified and working in harmony. Ephesians 4.15-16 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, speaking of Christ, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, listen to that, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Christ is the head of the church, but all of the parts play an essential role as they make the body grow and get stronger. You might say then, well, how does unity then specifically increase our impact? You still follow me here? Unity minimizes our weaknesses. Let me explain this. 
We all have various weaknesses that are really glaring if they're left to ourselves. And by ourselves, because of our weaknesses, we're not going to make a tremendous impact. But when we're unified, the weaknesses are minimized. Joseph Stoll is the president of Cornerstone University, a Christian school, and he makes this great observation about snowflakes. He says, quote, Snowflakes are beautiful, uniquely crafted ice crystals. Individual snowflakes are fragile, and they quickly melt if, left, if they land on your hand. Yet, in mass, they create a force to be reckoned with. They can shut down major cities while creating beautiful landscapes of snow-laden trees whose pictures decorate calendars and become the subject of artwork. They provide pleasure on the ski slopes and joy for children as they make snowmen and ammunition for snowball fights, all because they stick together. that kind of like us? Uniquely designed, each one of us, like a snowflake, but incredibly fragile and ineffective by ourselves, making little impact. But when we work together, we can stop traffic. I was thinking about that, how, for example, with our recent VBS, what, what can I contribute to VBS? What can I contribute to VBS? Well, i got a lot of areas that I'm weak in. If I did the music for VBS, the kids would probably run out of here scared or scarred. If I was in charge of the kitchen, the kids would probably either go hungry or get sick. If I was in charge of the crafts, there would be a lot of freaky things on Facebook and YouTube. This is what we learned today in Vacation Bible School. Games? I can do that. And I can help there. And so my weaknesses in all these other areas don't matter because others are stronger in that. It's almost like pieces of a puzzle or, or something where the weak parts get slid under the tops on part and you never notice them because there's unity. It minimizes the weaknesses, which we all have in great number. So unity minimizes our weaknesses, but it also multiplies our efforts. We can do more together than separately. The impact, friends, I want you to get this word, is exponential. Not just one to one to one to one, but exponential. If God's people are unified and they work together. A great example of this is geese and how they fly together, right, in their familiar V pattern. I know we don't want to think about geese right now because that means winter's coming. won't be too long, but we're going to see them here shortly. And that V pattern is really fascinating. One writer says, When geese fly together, each goose provides additional lift and reduces air resistance for the goose flying behind it. Consequently, by flying in a V formation, scientists estimate that the whole flock can fly about 70% farther with the same amount of energy than if each goose flew alone. Geese have discovered that they can reach their destination more quickly and with less energy expended when they fly together in formation. End quote. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? It's the same with the church. 
Unity increases our impact. When we're unified, we cause others to serve longer and more effectively as we pray for each other, encourage each other, teach one another, love one another, and so on. It strengthens and multiplies the church's complete ministry. Think about it. When you participate and you serve and you use your gifts, your impact is exponential. If you strengthen Joe, not only do you strengthen Joe and himself, but you strengthen all of the people that Joe will subsequently impact, right? Just like if you strengthen your kidney, not only do you strengthen your kidney, but you strengthen all the parts that are affected by your kidneys. If you strengthen someone who teaches Sunday school, you strengthen not only the teacher, but all of the students. And on and on it goes. If you strengthen this person, then they can strengthen other people in the church. And then they can go strengthen those and and be a witness in their communities and their neighborhoods. And so do you see it's not just, okay, there's unity. I pass on a strength to you. You pass on a strength to me like one to one to one. No, it's shotgun exponential. And friends, that's why our church needs you to participate. Needs you to participate. If we lack unity, or I should say we lack unity, if you are not using your gifts, your time, your resources to build this body, We're not unified if there is withholding there because you're not strengthening me and John Bishop and Vicki Espelin and so that we can be strengthened in our own selves and then we can strengthen other parts of the body and we can be stronger as we witness to this community and as we are the light of the world. Amen? So we have to ask ourselves, are we unified by serving and using our gifts and time and resources to maximize our impact here in this community. Do you see the importance of unity? I hope you're motivated to really want to maintain it here in this church because we need that motivation. Unity isn't easy. Ephesians 4.3 tells us again to be eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. Friends, never will it happen that unity, unity just happens by accident. Unity happens because God's people are purposeful in making it a priority because we will have to overcome barriers. And that leads to where we're going to pick up next week. Barriers to unity. And I want to discuss three areas where unity breaks down. First, interpersonal conflict. The biggest cause of disunity is personal hurts that we inflict on each other. Second, doctrinal differences. People differ over important but non-essential doctrines, and that shouldn't happen. Third, matters of Christian conscience. There are issues that Scripture doesn't directly address, like uh, education for our children, public school, home school, private school. There's things like, who should we vote for in the 2016 presidential election? (laughs) so we're going to talk about some of these specific things next week I really want to dig in because this is often where unity breaks down 
And we've seen how valuable it is, how precious it is. Let us have true unity within the church. Scripture's going to shed some light on us for it. And as we close, just a reminder one last time. It is good and pleasant when God's people dwell in unity. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is your world you have made. And Lord, this is your church. It is not my church or any individual here. This is your church. And your will is that we would be unified. It is such a great thing. So enjoyable. Such a blessing. And it is such a great testimony to the world when they see a unified church. When people from all different walks of life can have something that is greater than the economy or the government or a sports team that unites them. And Lord, we know that unity truly maximizes what we can do together here as a church. So Lord, light a fire in our hearts that we would pursue unity and help us even as next week we seek to overcome some of the barriers that all of us have fallen for in various ways throughout our lives. Help us to see your word and have more resolve to live out what Christ prayed for, that we would be one as you are one. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.